Amen. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. I, uh, as I was talking to, uh, to Grace before she came up to share, she said, she said, I'm nervous. And I said, it's okay. I get nervous, too, when I go up to share. And I said, you just have to think about other people and, and you know, that you're there to help, not to be, make it about yourself. She said, a banana also helps. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, sure, get a banana too. That was great. Uh, I do uh, just want to welcome everybody. It's, uh, it's been a great service so far. Thank you so much to the singers. Thank you for Chris. Um, thank you all for just giving your hearts as you're here and part of the, part of the group here. Um, we really do have a, a special family here that God has brought together, um, and it's great to be a part of it. You can turn over to uh, Luke chapter 12. We'll get there in a second. This, uh, this spring, the, as, you've, as we've said probably every week, the theme uh, for the church here has been connect. And we've been talking through, going through the Gospel of Luke and talking about how we can live lives of connection to God and to each other. And you know, talking about how we can kind of avoid just drifting through life spiritually, being detached and disengaged. And how Jesus offers us really a life of deep and meaningful relationships. And so if we, you know, look at him and, and look at his, the gospel that he brings, that we can have that be a reality in our lives. So Ryan, Ryan preached last week out of Luke chapter 11, and he talked about the heart of prayer and really developing intimacy in our connection with the Father. And today we're going to look at Luke chapter 12, and we're going to talk about how, how the gospel that Jesus brings transforms the relationship that we have with our possessions, Okay, with the way that we think about the things that we have. I think it's, it's particularly apt, and I didn't plan this, but it is particularly apt because it is tax season, if you haven't noticed. And um, I don't know how you're feeling about that, right? For some people, it, uh, with the kind of recent changes to the tax code or maybe different things that have gone on in your life, maybe your refund this year is smaller than it was last year. Maybe it was smaller than it's ever been. Maybe it's negative and you have to write a check this year. Sorry. I wish the message were, you know, God's just going to take care of that for you. But he's not. Maybe uh, you've got a kind of a, you know, a fat refund check coming to you this year. If so, congratulations. You can invite somebody from that earlier group of people over for dinner. Help them out. I'm sure they would appreciate it. Society talks a lot about money this time of year, and I think it's some ways appropriate. Um, but, uh, but Jesus does talk about money as well. And so we're going to talk about it a little bit here in Luke chapter 12. If you've, uh, if you've been around the church for really any length of time, maybe if, you've, if you grew up going to church or if you visited churches, you're pro probably familiar with some of the things that churches talk about when it comes to money. They say use words like tithing or words like sacrificial giving. But the thing is, if you actually read what Jesus says about money, he actually doesn't talk about those things very much. Right? When he talks about how we should think about money, he doesn't really use the word tithing. He doesn't actually even talk really about sacrificial giving. Not that those things are necessarily bad, but when we look at Jesus' uh, the, the kind of the heart that Jesus is talking about about our relationships, 
he's talking about something that's much bigger, that's actually much more difficult, but also much more inspiring about how we should interact with our money. And so that's what we're going to talk about. The title of the sermon today is Better Than Rich. Better Than Rich. Here's the main point. That the world chases wealth as the sign of a great and secure life. But that Jesus offers a life that is better than being rich. It's better than being rich. It's a life that's not filled with possessions, but filled with purpose. It's a life that's better than being rich. So we'll pick up the story here in Luke chapter 12. You with me? All right. So Jesus is going to have this interaction with a man. And he's come to Jesus upset. You know, his father, this man's father had died recently. Apparently there was some unresolved conflict in his family. Maybe the father looked at one of the sons as the favorite and maybe neglected the other son. Maybe the, uh, the two sons in the family had never gotten along. And the parents had never really helped them to find resolution in that relationship. And so there were unresolved bitterness between them. And so when the time came to pass this family's estate to the next generation, to the two sons, there was conflict. Things got nasty. Maybe they stopped speaking to one another. Both sides so sure that they were right and that the other one was wrong. One of the challenges, this is one of the things as you transition from being a, a kid to a grown-up, this is kind of in terms of, you know, that I explained to our kids, is that you see that these kinds of issues are actually really common in the world even today. I mean, if you've, maybe something that's happened in your family, maybe it's in, in families that you know, that you're close with. That when parents die, often all the unresolved issues in a family are exposed. All those hurts come out, and the children then fight over those issues on the battlefield of the inheritance. You guys ever seen that kind of thing happen? It does happen all the time, and it's incredibly sad. You know, this is one of the reasons that as a church, we take so much, we, we put so much effort into building our families right. Can I get an amen to that? Right, because we know that, fun, that, that when it comes down to it, that these issues that, you know, they feel like, well, yeah, it's unresolved, but it's just, you know, it's, it's not a big deal right now. Those issues will simmer and simmer and simmer and ultimately poison the unity of our families. And so we put a lot of effort into getting resolved and figuring out how to be good parents and help our kids to find resolution with each other and us as, as, as spouses coming to kind of resolution in our families and setting that example and digging through the real issues. Because even if it doesn't come up now, we know ultimately those unresolved things will come up and will bear the consequences of them. Maybe our children will. So... Something like that had happened to this family. You can look down in verse 13. This, and this, this man is bitter, and a rabbi comes to town teaching about how God loves people and how every life is valuable in God's eyes. 
And the man probably thinks, well, you know, if only my brother were here, he would see that he's being so unrighteous in this situation. And in verse 13, Luke tells the story. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He says, give me justice. My brother's being unjust in this situation. Tell him to divide it with me. Verse 14, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Jesus is saying, don't, don't pull me into this matter. God has appointed me to preach the gospel. And you're trying to use me to gain leverage over your brother in this family dispute. That's not why I'm here. Now, Jesus does talk about justice in the, on the world and, and all of those kinds of things. I don't think he's saying, you know, hey, it just doesn't matter. Justice doesn't matter. But he's saying, don't use me as leverage against your brother. You go and find resolution Get resolution in your own heart and also find it with him. Of course, this is not what the man wants to hear. And uh, Luke kind of stops his narrative after, you know, with, this, with that statement that Jesus makes. And it's almost as if the man kind of stops and maybe a little bit disappointed, maybe starts to walk away. And Jesus sees his heart and he speaks something to him and to those who are around him. Verse 15, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus says, be on your guard against greed. Not just, hey, if you have some greed in your life, if, if you're really stingy with money and lording it over people, you need to repent of that. He says, everyone, we've got to watch out against greed coming and sneaking into our lives. We've got to set up the watchtowers, build the defenses, keep our eye on our hearts so that greed doesn't sneak in. Because as he says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And that is the message that greed sends. That your life is, is summed up in the things that you own. That's the message that greed will send in your, to your heart. And greed will cause you to trade the priceless gift of your life for the pursuit of of things that are ultimately worthless. That's where greed will put us. And so he tells them a story to help them to kind of understand this. Verse 16, he says, And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You know, the... the the point that Jesus is trying to make is not that this guy was in sin and, and a fool because he had money, right? The money actually just kind of comes to him. It says, hey, he had ground. It, it produced a good crop. Amen. But it's a question of what he did and where his heart was. It wasn't a problem that he even worked hard in his business. Jesus doesn't condemn hard work. It actually encourages hard work throughout the scriptures. 
But the problem is that he's so consumed with his money that he reduced his life to the pursuit and management of what he had. The pursuit and management of physical things in his life. So, of course, he wasn't rich toward God. You know, we don't need to be rich or to have had kind of a windfall like this man had to also be vulnerable to this same temptation. You know, I think many, many people in the world, and I would imagine many of us here, live lives of chronic spiritual disappointment. Here's what I mean by that. That it's very easy to get into a mode where, we, where we're making some effort, where we're trying to go to church or trying to read our Bible or trying to pray, but that if you ask us, you know, how, how do you feel about your spiritual life? That we'll say, well, I don't honestly feel great about it. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of where I'm at, but I wish I could be farther along. I wish I could kind of have things more together. I wish I could really know the Bible or really kind of commit to this in the way that I'd like, really see God's power in my life. And even this is not just over a period of weeks or months, but even years or decades, we can get into a chronic state of being disappointed in our spiritual situation. And I'm not talking about, you know, getting cut to the heart and repenting and doing something about it. That's, God talks about that. Amen. But I mean talking about just getting used to being in a place that we know is not great, but just kind of living with it. Does that make sense? I've been there. Maybe you can relate to that too. And I think that this the man in Jesus' parable was probably in a place like that. Not explicitly denying the presence of God, but saying, yeah, you know, I'll get to it. It's, it's a good thing, but look at all the stuff I need to take care of. And one of the most common roadblocks to us actually seeing God's power in our life, to, to actually realizing God's plan for, for who he wants us to become, is exactly this thing, is exactly what Jesus talks about here. It's this pursuit of possessions that will choke out our spiritual growth. Because taking hold of, of God's true purpose in our life, it, it's, it isn't convenient, right? It requires time and it requires sacrifice. It requires some money to, you know, for the, at least for gas money and, and maybe, you know, not taking that extra shift at your job or, or whatever it is. It's going to require some difficult choices. And if ultimately we're more concerned about all, you know, managing all of the, the possessions and the responsibilities that we have in our life, it becomes very difficult to make those choices, to make them on a consistent basis. If you feel like you're in that, that, that spot, I would say don't give up, though. Don't give up, right? It's not, I, I don't think Jesus' message for you is to say, well, so don't bother, no, I think he's saying, hold on, keep, keep at it, but find what it is that, that God wants for you and set aside this, this pursuit of possessions and things like that. God will take care of it, as we'll talk about, but you put him first. Don't focus on the possessions. Figure out what is the purpose of your life and seek after it. It's not about possessions. It's about purpose. This man walks away. 
And so Jesus turns to his disciples, and we'll keep reading in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says you want to avoid greed and the, the, all the damage and destruction to your family that comes with it. There is a life out there that's better than being rich. It's better than being rich. That it's filled not with possessions, but it's filled with purpose. But he says it starts, and this is key, it starts not with your decisions about your money. It starts, and really, I would say it starts and it ends with the way that you view your Father in heaven. This is what it comes down to. It's not a question about your money. It's not a question of, of uh, you know, am I making good choices in my finances? He says, that's going to come. It's a question of, do you trust your Father in heaven? Do you trust him to be good and to take care of you just like he takes care of everything else in the world? Because if we just start there, if we start with our finances and say, okay, well, you know, it just means I need to make a budget and figure this out and, and be more disciplined, and those things aren't bad. But if you start there and miss the picture about God, then you'll, then you'll maybe get some of the choices right, but your heart will, will rebel against it. And you're never going to actually get to the place where Jesus talks about. It'll feel like, like, like you're in prison financially. And why does the church keep asking me to give more? And why do I have to give more to the, the poor? And why do I have to do this and this and this? Why doesn't God just let me take care of myself? Because God says, because I'm taking care of you. Because I'm taking care of you. Don't you see? Ryan uh, mentions a, a point like this last week, where he talked about how we pray. And Jesus mentioned this, right? He says, our Father, hallowed be your name. It's the first thing that Jesus says. If we want to pray the way that, that Jesus calls us to, we start off praising God's name, the, the holiness and sacredness of his name. And why do we need to do that? Because, well, first, because, of course, God deserves it. He deserves our praise. Created us for that purpose. But also, I think we need that reminder. Right? It's, I think it, it's easy for us to give lip service to the fact that God is good. Hey, God is good all the time, you know. God is good, right? Amen. 
Amen, brother. God is good. And yet when we look at ourselves, we see things that we don't like. See, we wish that we were different, that God had put us in a different situation, that we had a different upbringing, that we looked different, that we performed differently. Is God good? He made us. Is he good? We look at the world around us. You see the tragedy, the difficulty in the world. You know, the last year or so, Lauren and I have been in the process of, of, of adopting a child from India. And, you know, you go through the, this kind of adoption process. One of the things that you have to do if you're adopting internationally is that, you know, a lot of the children that need to be adopted have some kind of special need. They come from some kind of situation where there's some kind of difficult uh, uh, experience that they've been through and maybe, maybe a medical issue that they have or maybe something else that's going on in their lives. And so when you sign up to adopt, you have to go through a checklist of all the different potential needs that could come up and which ones would you accept. And it's heartbreaking. Because you feel like, man, I wish, you know, I wish every kid could just you know, have none of these issues. Right? Could have none of this. And yet the fact is, so many kids do. They do. And of course, it's no fault of their own, and often it's honestly even no fault of their family, right? It's just, sometimes it's, there's just terrible situations and injustices in the world and even just, just tragedies that happen. And so what do we do about that? Where is the loving, the all-powerful God that we want to follow? in the midst of the suffering and the tragedy of the world? It's a hard question. And I'm not here to offer any easy answers. I would say part of the answer, though, is to, to that question of where God is, is that he's there in us, in us, the church. It's God that pushes us to love and to serve others particularly the most needy around us. It's God that inspires us to give our money so that people we have never met and never will meet can have a better life. It's him in us that has inspired me and Lauren to adopt a, a child and to, God willing, help him to experience a family that he never otherwise would have experienced. God is there because we are there. We, the church, are there. The world is hurting, and he calls us to be his hands and feet. I think it's easy to look at the pain in the world and say, where is God? But God says, didn't I send you? Didn't I send you? We can question God, but are we doing anything about it? This is what the church is trying to do through programs like the Saturday Academy. Helping families who, who have needs that they don't know how to meet. Give them a little respite from the difficulties that they're facing. It's what we do through programs like Hope. It's what you see the church in Venezuela doing, even in the midst of their hardship and the turmoil that they're facing. 
loving, the, the ones who are most vulnerable in their communities. So that's part of it. God is there in us. And we need to be there for the world. But the other, the other part of this, and this is hard, is that there are going to be things about ourselves and about the world that we don't like. And that we think, man, if, if I were God, I would do this differently. I would end this. I would change this. In those situations, I think we've got to choose whether we are willing to trust our own definition of justice and holiness or trust in God's. Rather, what, really, whether at the end of the day, we are the ones who define what justice and goodness and holiness is or whether we can trust that to the creator of the universe. We don't know all the things that he's doing. And yes, we have to wrestle with it, but ultimately, and this is where I've come down, ultimately, I know I can't do it, right? Who am I to look at God and say, God, you're not good because of this situation? How dare I? Me, who is so weak in, in holding up what is right and wrong, barely, barely even able to follow it myself in, for, you know, a few minutes, let alone a day or all of eternity. We've got to trust that God knows what he's doing more than we do. Jesus says that the pagans run after riches because they see themselves as all alone in the world. You know, some of them may find those riches. And then, like the, the story of the man that Jesus just told, trade their lives for them. But we're God's children. He says we are part of the creator of the universe's family. You are his son or his daughter. He will take care of you. We are better than rich. We are provided for. We have the all-inclusive package. Maybe you've stayed at an all-inclusive resort before. It's awesome. What do you want? I'll take, I'll, take, I'll take two of those. I'll take three of those. You know what? I will keep taking those until I can't take any more. Until you have to roll me out of here. Jesus says, this is, this is the, 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 the life that you live. He says, you worry about being able to, to pay for things? He says, your money's not good here. God's got it. The one who owns the place is providing for you. What are we so worried about? I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, and I've, I shared this a few years ago, but it's been a few years, so I'm going to share it again. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He's answering the objection that, that, uh, that you know, the, 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 the kind of the enemy of Christianity is desire, right? These desires towards, and he says, towards the kind of the different sinful pleasures of the world. He says, wait, the enemy isn't desire. He's actually he says, our desires aren't too strong, they're too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant 
by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Says we can be better than rich. You want to make mud pies in the slum with your riches? Fine. But there is something much better that God is offering. We have the privilege of trusting the great God of the universe to take care of us, not worrying about a thing that happens in our lives, and then free to seek the kingdom, to give him all of our hearts, to, you know, to pour ourselves into the work that God is doing in the world, free from the, the fear of what's going to happen, because that's already been taken care of. What's better than being rich? Being provided for at every turn, in every season, in every moment, and then living for God's purpose. You know, I think you, you could, if you're a little bit jaded about this whole thing, you could look at this, this message that Jesus gives and say, okay, sure. But this, this idea that, okay, God's just going to take care of everything, that seems like just an excuse to, you know, to let you out of being lazy and not taking responsibility for yourself. It's like, well... I don't need to work. God's going to take care of it. And I think, to be fair, there are people who have claimed to kind of have used this scripture actually, you know, wrongly to justify those kinds of things, right? Wrongly. The thing is that God calls his followers to embrace the image of him that he's put inside of them and then to use that image through the power of the Spirit to change the world. And so, you know, Christians should be the most disciplined at work, should be the most diligent, the most reliable. We should be the most respectful, the most focused on our jobs, the most positive employees a company has no matter what's going on. The disciples should be that light in our workplace. And if we're not, if we're saying, oh, well, you know, I'm late to work habitually, but you know what? God is good. Be careful. The mindset that excuses a lack of discipline and excellence in your work by appealing to God's grace and goodness doesn't understand God or grace or goodness. We can't go down that road. So I'm not talking about throwing, you know, throwing up your hands and just saying, well, God's going to take care of it. It's not on me. But we do need to make sure that we're working not in order to secure something for ourselves that feels like it's slipping out of our grasp, this security or success that we're hoping for. But trust that to him, living with an open hand that's ready to give. If you're a disciple today, how do you feel about your financial situation? Do you feel poor? Maybe. Do you feel like you're barely making it financially? Do you feel rich? Honestly, I hope you don't feel any of those things. If we give any of those answers, we're playing the wrong game. There's something else out there, something much better than being rich. I'm talking about not chasing possessions at all, but living, being driven by a purpose. And, I, and let me just say also that we need to also make good decisions about our money, right? I'm not talking about being irresponsible financially. The Bible has a lot to say about money, and we need to be, you know, to, to obey the whole, all of the scriptures when it comes to the choices that we make about how to allocate our resources to do the most good. And if you have questions about that, talk to Nelson. He will help you out.
If you feel like this is a challenge for you, get help. Just like with every other area of your life. Pull someone in. Get help in your life. But I would ask us, what lesson is our life, the choices that we are making, what lesson is that teaching to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our children? What does the decisions and the way that we feel about our possessions say about the understanding that we have of God? Does it show that we trust him? Or does it show that we feel like we need to handle it because God isn't able to? Do people see that the thing that really makes our life amazing is getting the next purchase or the next, the next gadget, the new car? Do they, or do they see us most excited about, about serving? Not about what we've gotten, but what we've given away. Is that what they see us excited about? The world chases riches. A life without worry. A life where they can eat, drink, and be merry, just like the man that Jesus talked about. But as children of the God of the universe, we have that already. We already have it, and more. If we're willing to trust our Father, let him take care of us, we can be better than rich, unconcerned about our possessions, and living totally this life of purpose. Amen? Amen.